that vampire inviting into hell mythology is so wild. It really is. It's, it's, it it always just like makes me think of like if a vampire is in an airplane and they're flying low enough over the ground, do they get forcibly removed from the airplane when they pass over somebody's property, or is it just like a house? Hello, everyone. My name is Nia. Welcome to Not a Zing Adult, a podcast where I, an emotionally stunted 21-year-old, try to find out why YA books, movies, TV shows, etc. are so appealing to people of all ages, even adults. Today, we're talking Monster of the Week. For those of you who don't know, Monster of the Week is a kind of structure for a series that, in the words of TV tropes, Features weekly episodes where the characters fight a villain and then the whole story is wrapped up at the end, never to be dealt with again. If you've ever watched The X-Files or early Supernatural, you've watched a Monster of the Week kind of show. This kind of storytelling structure has even spawned a tabletop RPG by Evil Hat Productions, also called Monster of the Week, where you and your three to five best friends can hunt down monsters like there's no tomorrow. No, this episode is not sponsored, though I seriously wish it was. The Monster of the Week format is extremely present in TV shows aimed at children and teenagers, from half-hour kids shows like Scooby-Doo and Gravity Falls to supernatural teen dramas like Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Legacies. This episode, I've invited my good friend B. You might know B from their co-host duties on Afterbite, a Vampire Diaries podcast that's 10 years too late, and Wheels Up, a Criminal Minds podcast that is 15 years too late. That is not the tagline for Wheels Up. I just wanted to make that joke. B, would you like to introduce yourself? <laughs> Hi, I'm B. I do podcasts about bad shows. I love bad. I love good mess. I love a good bad TV show. And that's what, you know, The Vampire Diaries is. And so is Criminal Minds. But my podcasts focus on looking at, like, why we like these things. Like, why I still kind of sometimes do enjoy The Vampire Diaries, even though it is by every single like level terrible but i just i can't stop watching i can't stop and that's okay that's why you're on this podcast that's why i'm on this show the real reason you're here is that you watch scooby-doo you watch legacies and you're also (laughs) my rpg fan which means you know a little bit about monster of the week and i've invited you here to figure out why we keep seeing teenagers hunt down monsters on tv (sighs) I love that your first introduction to me is that like I love Scooby-Doo is because I do love Scooby-Doo so dearly but also that was like I was thinking about it the other day because you had asked me to come on here and I was like is Scooby-Doo the first show that I actually really liked and I think it was what's new Scooby-Doo with like that banger theme song was like the first show I remember really liking and wanting to put on the tv Because that show came out when I was, like, six years old-ish, I think. And I can remember that I was like, I want to watch more of this. This slaps very hard (laughs) as, like, a six-year-old. Do you know why you liked it so much? I mean, a lot of it is... It's easy to watch. Which I love shows that are easy to watch. Um, But also in the fact that it goes through every single beat that makes a story good in like 20 minutes or less 
that's really impressive because a lot of shows will skip over beats or they'll extend it over episodes and episodes and episodes but like with scooby-doo or with like a monster of the week show you have the whole thing in like half an hour that's it so you just get to like speed run telling a good story in like 20 minutes and it had fun colors and goofy voices and i was like very into it for whatever reason I completely get that. I think like that's why like a lot of people like older are like still into like you know children's shows because as I was like looking at like monster of the week content and like you know case of the week content for this like mm-hmm. you know building out notes, I noticed that like a lot of like you know shows that we associate with being monster of the week like Scooby Doo like Two Degree Gravity Falls like it's it's very much children's animated show and like I think that makes sense to some degree because like children they're not likely to tune in every week for a serialized me- for like yeah. a serialized story but like as you get older there's fewer and fewer of those and people associate like that case of the week stuff more with like either medical dramas or procedural dramas but like there mm-hmm. are still like these iconic monster of the week shows like Buffy the Vampire Slayer and not as iconic but you know still worth mentioning legacies which is very interesting yeah. to me that like it exists in such a time where everyone is expecting like hour-long content to be serialized if it isn't doctor or cop show Mm -hmm. and i think a lot of it comes from like you're right in that kids can't tune in every week they can only tune in once a month or whenever they just see it whenever they can like catch a glimpse of it but i feel like with so many shows they fall into the trap of like obviously they want us to watch every week as it's airing live but like i'm not gonna Like, I really hate to break it to you guys. I'll pop in if I see a fun episode, and then maybe I'll binge the whole thing on Netflix in a year or two. There are so few shows that I'm willing to, like, put time in my schedule to, like, sit down and watch that show every week. It's not going to happen. But a Monster of the Week show, I feel like, takes that burden off of me. Because then it's like, it's okay if you miss the werewolf episode, or if you miss, you know, the fucking mermaid episode or whatever like it's okay if you miss that just tune back in next week you'll probably be lost for like two minutes and that's it you're good i feel like it's so much easier to get to get into like monster of the week shows because you can basically start anywhere like i started watching mm-hmm. criminal minds at season eight because they were doing a <laughs> marathon on tv and you know i just i just watch one episode and i'm like okay you know the criminals they have minds that's pretty interesting and i just started watching it so And, like, I got into Legacy, like, around season three because I was just, like, I'm not watching a whole backlog, but the girls are pretty, so. <laughs> so true. The girls are pretty, and that's why I like it. No, but I also, like, I think also Monster of the Week shows, they kind of, like, fight to make every episode unique in a way that I don't think typical, like, a different genre show does, right? Like, if you're watching a Western show, I can't think of any good examples of a Western show on the air today, which is why I'm using that as an example. But, like, if you're watching a Western show, you're like, okay, yeah, perfect. The Every episode is going to be Western tropes and fucking the spaghetti Western soundtrack and cowboys with guns shooting off everywhere. But then if you're watching, like, a Monster of the Week show, they have a lot more freedom, I think, to dip into different genres and to make each episode really interesting and unique in a way that other shows really can't because they are so clearly a Western, right? I think Monster of the Week affords it a lot of, like, flexibility, which is why we see it a lot in younger, like, animated TV shows, uh, because you can more easily be flexible like that. 
when everything is drawn and you don't have to find locations to shoot things in, you know? I think a lot of why we see those, like, younger shows and why they kind of stop being a thing once you get past the young adult genre is because it's fucking expensive to make a TV show with a very different feel every time. There's only a few shows that, like, do that. And even with, like, a lot of, like, the current, like, case of the week shows, like, it is the same hospital every time for a medical uh-huh. drama. It is, like, the same precinct every time for a cop drama. Mm-hmm. And there's also this thing where, like, I feel like I, something I noticed, like, online is that, like, when Nancy Drew, like, kind of had, like, a mystery of the week thing this past season, people were, like, not a fan of that. People were, like, oh, like, this case of the week feels like filler. And I'm, like, no, it's not filler. It's obviously the mystery of the week trope. Like, there's some beautiful things that monster of the week can do that serialized can do and like i feel like people that are used to serialized shows don't really understand that in a way i think a lot of it comes from the fact that we do still think of like monster of the week as this like a filler genre we think of like blank of the week shows crime of the week case of the week monster of the week the blank of the week shows as sort of just like well they do a blank of the week when they don't have any other big plot to do or They only throw in a monster because they don't know what to do this week. That's not true. The way that a TV show is constructed, they know what the fuck they're doing each week. Y'all, we can't keep being like, oh, the writers didn't know what to do this week. They fucking did. They get paid a lot of money to do so. And if they put in a monster of the week in a show that otherwise doesn't have a monster of the week, that's for a reason, right? And it's not as though monster of the week is like devoid of emotional depth or it's not like devoid of a lesson that it can teach you or something like that that's not monster of the week at all but people tend to like think that it is because well writers just throw it in there because they don't know what else to do this week they fucking know what they're doing they know exactly what they're doing i like your point that like monster of the week like it does do character stuff it does have emotion because like one way that I feel like Monster of the Week shows kind of like have an advantage over serialized stuff is that you can like focus on a different character each week through a different mm-hmm. monster each week or whatever. And like you get so much more freedom to explore different emotional beats than you would with like a serialized thing where everyone is working towards the same story. Yeah. And I think a lot of that comes from the base of like what a monster is, right? Like, you tell monster stories to your kids to teach them a lesson, to teach them about, I don't know, fucking the dangers of walking into a cornfield alone, right? That's one that I got taught as a kid, which I know is not like an eternal life lesson, but that's still the first monster. You look at me so strangely. The first monster story that I ever remember hearing is from my dad, who would tell me whenever we went to my aunt's house, her house was surrounded on three sides by like cornfields. And I, being a annoying little shit of a kid would always want to run into them my dad was like no b you can't then you're gonna get eaten by a corn stalker and i was like why are you telling me this i'm five years old he's like no it's a terrible monster that eats children who wander into cornfields alone and i was like okay thanks dad i'm five i'm gonna go inside now but like Every monster story is like that. Monsters are just stories that we tell to kids, right? And I don't know why people think that Monster of the Week shows don't have a lesson to teach us because they have monsters. But, like, the monsters are the lesson. The monsters always reflect something about 
whoever they're focusing on this week. The monster is a reflection of the characters that are fighting it in a way. And so I think it's a really good way to kind of trick people into thinking about emotional depth sometime because they're fighting monsters, you know? It's, it's a lot of, like, trying to slip it in there undetected, like your mom trying to get you to eat your vegetables so you don't notice. It's just like, we're just going to slip a little life lesson in here. We know that you won't notice, but we'll just we'll just slip a little one in there. And honestly, I love those lessons. I love those too, because even in like, so for example, for Legacies, right, they had that one episode, the noir episode, that just took place inside like a therapy box. And the lesson was go to therapy. That was literally it. You guys think I'm fucking kidding? I am 100% serious. It was a therapy box that was necessary for everybody. I have watched the episode with like very little context. And I agree. It's it's very fun. And everyone should, in some degree, seek mental health assistance. (laughs) That's not PSA. Everybody in that show needs a therapist so bad. But, like, the monster of the week that week was themselves, right? And that's always, like, that's what a monster is. It's a reflection of yourself that you don't like to see. They have more emotional depth than people give them credit for. Especially, I think that, like, when you're putting it into, like, a high school-ish setting, like, when you're doing it with, with, like, Legacies or Buffy Mm -hmm. the Vampire Slayer, which... I watched with my sister, which it's the monsters can also like kind of represent like the horrors of growing up because like, of course, Mm -hmm. high school is like extremely scary. And it's high school is horrifying. It it is more (laughs) exciting and often more compelling to show it through like the lens of like vampires and werewolves than, oh, my God, I even I have a zit this week and picture Mm -hmm. days tomorrow. It's just literally it's like it's trying to get kids to think that high school isn't as horrifying as high school really is. But I hate to break it to you guys, high school is fucking horrifying, and the monsters are your classmates and you. you you're the monster in high school. Welcome to high school, you're the monster. That's so dark. This is a comedy podcast, B. This is a comedy podcast, but also you asked me to speak about Monster of the Week, which, like, gets a lot of shit, but it also teaches kids to think about dark things in, I think, a very safe way, you know? Mm-hmm. It gets you to think about the dangers of capitalism or whatever like every early scooby-doo episode was somebody robbing a bank but then you're like hey maybe robbing banks is bad and maybe the people who rob banks are monsters and it's just a very wonderful way of criminalizing other people to us but still right it's a monster of the week show it teaches you about the monsters in like a safe fun way with a funky dog that's why we keep doing young adult shows that are monster of the week shows because all monsters are human They're all made out of human emotions or human fear or human suffering or whatever. That's all monsters are made out of. Do you think like, you know, with streaming and stuff, like with like everyone like binge watching, do you think like there is like still a place for like monster of like the week content there? Because like one of the beauties of monster of the week is that it really lends itself to like the weekly drop schedule. Whereas like with streaming, people are often looking for like a more serialized, like all the dominoes falling Mm -hmm. narrative. I think... There definitely is because just because Monster of the Week is more geared towards you popping in one week and then not the next and then you finding it the the week after that, you know, even though it's geared towards more a weekly drop schedule, I still think it has a lot of rewatchability. 
I think a good Monster of the Week show has obviously Monsters of the Week, but also I think a good Monster of the Week show has some sort of projection of character growth. It has some sort of growth across the whole season that still makes it a good and an, like enjoyable experience to watch week by week or watch binge an entire day there's still like character growth that can happen that spans episodes and seasons which is why like good monster of the week shows have that sort of character growth it's not like everything stays the same there's always some growth or there's always something they're working towards even if it is just graduating high school I had the screenwriting teacher. Fun fact, I am, I'm a minor in screenwriting. We also majored in film. So this is the kind of insufferability that you are listening to right now. I'm just as insufferable as you think I am. Thank you so much. <laughs> but anyways, back. Um, I once had a screenwriting teacher who like kind of like described like the models of like TV shows to me. And he was like, every show can like be broken up into like X percent procedural and X percent serial and like no show like even if it's a cop show or like a medical show no show is like 100% of either like there mm-hmm. will always be like a few like problem of the week moments for a more serialized show and like mm-hmm. a few more like serial like you know long running arcs through a case of the week show which is i like thinking about that balance yeah and my favorite monster of the week show is Hubie Doo Mystery Incorporated It came out in like 2012 or 2014, and it is much better than most people give it credit for. I'll be very honest. It is a very good TV show, even if it is Um, Scooby-Doo. It's well animated. It has a great story. Oh, God, I can't say too much about the show without spoiling it. I highly recommend everybody who wants to, anybody who's thinking like, oh, man, I want to either like go to film school or I want to analyze TV shows more. Watch season one of Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated. It's fucking genius. Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated does this really, really great thing where it has the monster of the week. Obviously, it has a monster because it's Scooby-Doo and every monster is actually just a person. But every week there's also... there There's an underrunning plot of unraveling the mystery of um, a family that went missing years and years and years ago in their town. And it is, it gets kind of fucking intense and kind of scary when they're in that mystery part. Um, Some parts of it are genuinely like, is this a horror show? It's really, really good, Nia. You're looking at me with disbelief, but it is genuinely very good. My main reference for Scooby-Doo is, like, the little picture books I read as a kid and also, like, the Sarah Michelle Gellar movies. So, like, that is my okay, only so reference. Okay, so true. Those are masterpieces. <laughs> They're wonderful. Like, like wonderful. don't trust the Rot in Tomato scores. Greatest movies of all time. Go watch the live-action Scooby-Doo movies. They're fucking great. I think you would actually really like Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated um, because... Let me pull up the Netflix page for it real quick. Um, I have so many series of Scooby-Doo on my uh, <laughs> on my Netflix list right now. I mean, that's just a testament to the power of Monster of the Week that they do keep churning out Scooby-Doo shows like for like new audience to get into it. And each series of Scooby-Doo has its own thing that makes it special. Um, Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated has a really good 
animation style. It has a really, really, really clever writing, but it also does get to the bottom of are there other mystery incorporated are there other scooby-doo gangs there is a wild twist at the end of this series that if i say it right now it won't make any fucking sense to you but (laughs) so the mythos that scooby-doo mystery incorporated sets up i'm sorry i'm just gonna say this you can cut it out of the the podcast if it doesn't make sense or anything but no i'm probably gonna include it scooby-doo mystery incorporated sets up is that uh the the mystery gang are actually uh reincarnations every single time there's a different gang of people with different pets and it's hinted that they're like babylonian demigods i don't know if i want to go that far but the fact that they are all recreated every time and that's why there are so many different series and different iterations of scooby-doo is fucking mind-blowing it's it's fucking insane. It makes me feel insane, Nia. But <laughs> what I was going to say is that you can still have that sort of insane overarching plot. You can still have them investigating the mystery of why like wh- an entire family that fucking disappeared. You can still have your big bad guy. You can still have your big evil entity or whatever. You can still have that when you have a Monster of the Week show. You just need to be fucking good at it. And unfortunately, a lot of Monster of the Week shows aren't. But when they're good, they're fucking good, dude. Yeah, like, I know that, like, Buffy has, like, always has, like, an end of season Big Bad. But I also uh-huh. know that, like, people who on Legacy stand to it or fucking hate the Malivore plot line, which... It, I mean, I'm not emotionally invested, but I think it's funny to see their fan wars sometimes. Yeah, Legacy Stan Twitter hates the Malivore plotline as though that's not the only thing that's stopping this show from just being another annoying teenage romance show. Hey guys, I hate to break it to you. That's the only thing that's setting Legacies apart from every other show on the CW right now. I really hate to break it to you, but... I feel like if they wanted to get rid of, like, Malivore and still do Monster of the Week, it would literally just be Buffy. Since they're, like, Mm -hmm. they're copying Buffy already. And, like, fuck you off, Sweden. But Buffy is iconic for a reason. I think the Malivore plotline in Legacies is a little bit like cough medicine. Uh, Sure, it doesn't go down the easiest the first time. But rewatching season one of Legacies kind of fucks because of the Malivore plotline. I hate to break it to you. The Malivore plotline is what's making that show good and making it have lasting value. The Malivore plotline is also what's stopping them from falling into, like, a supernatural-esque... Not, like, supernatural, like, not natural. I mean, like, supernatural, the show. It's what's stopping them from falling into, like, a supernatural trap of, like, every season they need to kill God or something. Right? Because that's a definite problem with a lot of these Monster of the Week shows is that sort of, like, power creep that happens over time. And I think... Malivore is really like a good plot device for not letting them power creep themselves out of like existence. I see the stuff, I see what people are saying online, and I am reminded of like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which is a show that mm-hmm. was formative to me in middle school and high school, and, <laughs> and also started with like a case of the week plotline before like moving uh-huh. into serial stuff. And like, I mean, spoilers for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. if you haven't watched it. 
but honestly like you're not watching it because it's not part of the mcu anymore so it doesn't matter sorry to agents of shield fans um <laughs> like like their big bad uh for like a while was hydra and fans kept complaining because like they never seemed to be able to stop Hydra. It just kept coming back, which, like, I completely get. Like, the Hydra plotline did get boring after a while, but it was it was also like the natural enemy for a for a show like Agents of Shield, which is about mm-hmm. spies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Like, mm-hmm. you know, a show about spies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe should not be about ending the apocalypse. It should be about fighting evil spies, fighting evil Nazi spies. <laughs> The writers definitely did not handle the Hydra plotline well, but, like, it was so like, tied into, like, the heart of the show and what what it was about. Like, regardless, mm-hmm. it kind of doesn't make sense to do away with it in the same way that it doesn't really make sense for Legacies to completely do away with Malivore. Malivore is Legacies. As much as Legacy stands might hate to hear it, Malivore is the most interesting thing about Legacies. Not No, but actually, getting back to my point about, like, power creep and, like, making them stop the apocalypse every season. Uh, spoilers for Legacies. I'll try and keep it spoiler light, but I'm, I'm going to spoil a major plot point of season one of Legacies, which is uh, that Landon is a phoenix and that he was... This is, sounds so stupid when I say it. Landon is basically like a child of Malivore. So uh, Landon's mom yeeted herself into Malivore before she was pregnant and when she got yeeted out of Malivore she was pregnant it was a whole thing <laughs> um, it was a whole thing also very like Joss Whedon-y and Buffy-like in its like violation of a woman's bodily autonomy oh absolutely Legacies is very bad about respecting women in any way shape or form which is a whole thing that we can't get into here <laughs> okay so, actually, I have to start even further back than that, and I'm so sorry that I'm going to go on, like, a wild tangent right now, but Legacies had a power creep problem before it even began, because Hope, the main character of Legacies, Le- Legacies, Legacies, the main character of Legacies is, without a doubt, absolutely and completely, the most powerful being in the universe, period. Like, they've just made that, that's just canon, because she is a tribrid. Ugh. She is a vampire, a witch, and a werewolf, all in one cute little package. Um, so even before they started the show, they had this problem. At the end of the originals, they had it too, but they kind of had to try and fix it going into Legacies, of the fact that Hope is incredibly powerful. She can do things that literally nobody else in the universe can do. Right. It's not like she's just like a normal girl thrust into a world of magic and monsters like Buffy is, right? She's the most powerful being in the world. Period. (laughs) So they had this problem of like, how do you make a realistic struggle for the most powerful being in the universe? They, They came at it from a few ways. Number one, They made her the most emotionally stunted motherfucker I've seen in my entire life, which is great because you can't be a hero unless you go to therapy and help yourself first. So I love that they were like, no, 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 you're just going to be bad at emotions for a long time. And I love that for her. Number two, they put her in high school because nobody likes high school and everybody is bad at high school, right? That's a great way to just kick your protagonist in the ass is just to put them in high school because nobody likes it. 
The third way that they kind of tried to even out the power balance of the universe of the big of the greater TVD universe is they gave her threats that nobody had ever seen before. They gave her monsters that she had no idea how to deal with, right? And that's what makes legacies compelling is that you're learning alongside Hope how to kill monsters. And sure, there's like a ton of other shit, right? Her boyfriend or her ex-boyfriend. I don't know their relationship status at the time this podcast is coming out. Um, Probably like still in a gray area from what I'm hearing. They're just such a bad couple. But Landon, her ugh, boyfriend, <laughs> is a phoenix and also a child of that monster spawning demon, Malivore, right? And I think by bringing Malivore down to our level, by giving us a cute protagonist, right, who is the son of the bad guy, but doesn't know it and doesn't like the bad guy either, they sort of like brought Malivore down to our level. But also, it made it really emotionally complicated if that you wanted to kill Malivore, right? And so to sort of even out the whole world to make it like reasonable stakes for a TV show, for a teen TV show, they did all these things to bring everything down and make it focused on hope. And obviously they're really bad at actually focusing on their main character because God, they love to give Landon useless plot lines, whatever, not the actual issue here, but like, you see what I mean? They, they, they tried to bring everything down to a neutral level so that they could then build it back up organically. Because the Vampire Diaries universe has so much history behind it. It already had so many things. In TVD, they killed the devil and destroyed hell. Pretty much. In the originals, right, they had five seasons of just such great TV. But at the end, they killed this like very powerful demon. And in the end, killed two of the main characters. But, like, the Vampire Diaries universe had already gone to, like, some crazy highs. They killed the devil and destroyed hell, right? That's insane. How do you finish that? How do you do anything else there? You gotta bring it all back down, and you gotta give me some funky monsters. I think... There, there's only so many, there's only so few ways that you could have made Legacies work as a TV show. And I think Monster of the Week is the one that works the best. I feel like if they hadn't gone that route, it would have just like been this like continual, like, like you said, power creep. Because like, not to bring it back to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but they have like this weird power creep of like, because like they became a series like show. Oh, like they, they had to like keep battling like bigger and bigger big bads. Mm-hmm. Bads. And, like, and then it got to the point where your suspension of disbelief is, like, okay, we are watching these super spies, one with superpowers, deal with, like, apocalypse-level threats. So why aren't you calling in the Avengers? Like, why? (laughs) Yeah. Like, you know, there's this whole cinematic universe at this point. So, like, why? Yeah, so there, yeah, so, like, I feel like with, like, any show, not not even just like a Monster Week or a Serialized Show, there needs to be like an awareness of like what threats that your heroes are capable of facing in, in, in like a way that both narratively makes sense within like the smaller story and like within like the entire context of the world. 
which is exceedingly hard to do when you're when you have yeah. like a spin-off like legacies. When you have a spin-off of a spin-off. Yeah. Right? Like you had eight seasons of TVD, five seasons of the originals, and now we're up to four of legacies. That's a lot of world building that you've done that you have to wrestle with and wrangle. And it's like really hard. I don't envy whoever has the like world bible for the vampire diaries tv universe because it's probably a fucking mess it's a goddamn mess in the first episode of tvd damon summons fog and has a raven pet (laughs) they abandon that immediately but you still need to acknowledge that that's a thing that happened in the universe right like there's just so much history involved in tvd and sure it's not as bad as like a Marvel Cinematic Universe, right? But it, it would be even tougher in in that context because there's so much shit that you don't know, right? There's so many other shows that are in production or other movies that are being written or an animated spinoff that's like in post-production when you're writing your show that you have no idea what's going on there. It's really hard to manage power creep just in general. Um, have we described what power creep is? We should probably do that. Yeah, I think we should. I I thought we did, but I guess we didn't. Okay, power creep is a term that I first learned of it from online MMORPGs, um, like World of Warcraft. But it can also easily, really easily apply to any universe that is persistent and constantly being updated like TV universes. So the way that it works is that, say, when you first launch your cool online MMORPG, World of Warcraft... Uh, the maximum level you can get to is 50. And when you get to level 50, you have you get the reward of, like, a big fucking sword. And you're like, cool, this is the biggest fucking sword in the whole world. This is awesome. I can kill the final boss with this. Cool. And then, because it's an MMORPG, because it is a persistent world that is constantly being updated and constantly online... The devs come out with more content. They raise the level cap to 100. And once you reach level 100, you get a bigger fucking sword. And suddenly, the big fucking sword that you started with feels pretty fucking weak compared to the bigger fucking sword. Right? So if that happens little by little for years and years and years, you get what's called power creep, where suddenly... The, the things that are supposed to be top of the line for certain points in the story are no longer even close or even, like, comparatively at all. They, they're nothing compared to the later endgame stuff. This is why, like, Supernatural, the show, the CW show, killed God twice, right? What do you do after you've killed God once? Well, you kill him again. Yes, I think the lesson here, if I'm understanding correctly, is that, you know, to avoid power creep, every every show should pull a Scooby-Doo and just, like, reset the timeline, reincarnate their characters every time, like, they, they reach the end game. Well, yes, but also, there are a lot of different ways that you can mitigate power creep. Number one, you can go the Scooby-Doo route, where they're reincarnations of Babylonian demigods, uh, which sounds insane, but is actually true. Or you can vary the threats. You can vary the damage sources. Instead of giving you, instead of, you know, your reward for hitting level 50 being a big fucking sword, maybe you can have an arrow that shoots fire or a bow that shoots fire arrows. 
or something or a magic staff that makes you able to do magic. That's what a lot of shows, that's what Monster of the Week is good at, is it's good at varying the outside threats, right? You're facing, one week you're facing a mummy who brings the fucking plagues of Egypt upon small towns. The next you're facing off against the Headless Horseman. Those are two very different threats. You know? One week you're having to face your own inner demons in a therapy box. And then next week, you're facing the Green Knight. It's confusing, but, like, the Green Knight was a villain in Legacies, I guess. He was on an eternal quest to find his sword or some shit like that. I don't know. Um, but th the thing is, is that you don't need to always have just, like, one sword that you can use that needs to get better and better and better. Sometimes you can vary the damage types and vary the threat enough so that it never feels like they're facing the same enemy but buff now. Yeah. They're facing, instead of facing a vampire with super speed, they're suddenly facing a witch with a ton of magic, right? It's that sort of concept. And it's that differentiation of threats that I think enables legacies to still feel somewhat real and rooted even though it's in this universe that is insane, right? TVD killed the devil and destroyed hell, right? But they're also having a musical episode because the monster of the week was Puck, you know, from the Shakespeare plays. <laughs> like, that's, I think, what Legacies does really well is it varies the damage threats so that you never feel like they're gonna... I feel like, sure, Legacies may eventually get to that point. It's gonna take a while. But, like, they may get to the point where one day they're gonna kill God, but I feel very confident in the way that that show is run that they're not gonna kill God twice, you know? If they kill God, that's gonna be their season finale. That's gonna be their series. That's the end of their series. They're done. Like, the early good parts of Legacies come from the fact that they're facing threats that they've never seen before and that have weird, like, they have weird quirks to them. There's, like, a gargoyle that doesn't want to attack humans, but it wants to attack werewolves, right? That's a fun quirk. I think that's what Legacies and Monster of the Week shows do really well, is they make it feel real and grounded for as long as it can. Legacies has its flaws, yes, but I appreciate that it's a really good Monster of the Week show. It's a really good Monster of the Week show. Even if you don't know shit about the TVDU, it's a pretty good Monster of the Week show. Like, just that. Yeah, like, I fully started watching Legacies without, like, any prior knowledge of TVDU. And it's, like, you know, the ep like when the episodes are good, they're generally, like, very good. Like, I, like, it made me realize how much I miss watching, like, you know, fun little case of the week shit. I, like... I yeah. don't like having, I don't like falling behind on a TV show and then realizing, oh shit, I have to watch X amount of episodes to catch up again. Like, I like knowing mm -hmm. that I can just jump in at any point and it will still be an engaging story that I can understand. Yeah, and a lot of folks, I think, think Legacies is a lot worse than it actually is. I think Legacies is pretty good for a show that doesn't take itself seriously and knows that it's a dorky Monster of the Week show. Yeah, you can't go into any Monster of the Week show expecting Game of Thrones. And that's it. And I think that's why a lot of folks not are sometimes disappointed in Legacies because they're expecting 
TVD, or they're expecting how Game of Thronesy the originals felt. But it's not that. This is a dorky, campy, monster of the week show. Set in this universe, sure, but it's dorky and campy all the same. Yeah, I yeah, I mean, I'm going to connect things back to Agents of Shield again, but like, I feel like people, <laughs> people very much did expect Agents of Shield to like live up to the Marvel Cinematic Universe when it was in its inception, yeah. very much like a Case of the Week, Monster of the Week, Alien of the Week show, and like the moment it started <laughs> to try to become like a televised version of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it like lost a lot. Like the journey of like the protagonist was better, but like in general, like the plot was worse. And I feel like they could have had a good story for its protagonist, Daisy, without, like, sacrificing, like, the DNA of the show. And I think that's where good writing really shines on case of the week shows, because good TV writing gets you to recognize and acknowledge and enjoy character growth without slapping you over the head with it. And I think monster of the week shows have to be much more careful and much more good like much more careful about the way that they do character growth than just like a regular tv show right they have to slip it in here in a way that like either you don't realize or in a way that makes sense along with the monster i think good writing really really shines in monster of the week shows also like can we just talk about like how great case of the week shows are for like found family and you know like group dynamics oh my god they're so good, especially because, like, friend group dynamics are, like, so integral to, like, why we like TV. And, like, I know that, like, a lot of my friends, like, watch specific shows for, like, the friend group dynamics. Case of the Week is so good at, like, developing every, like, relationship since it gives you, like, so many, so many like, configurations of people. And it, and it yeah. develops, like, every single character. And, you know, Case of the Week, very good for developing character relationships. That's, that's my feel. It spiel. is because you don't need to have every character on every week. Case of the Week shows, also great at saving money in the long run on film productions because you don't need to have every actor there every day. You can just have two of them working this one case. Congrats. You've saved money on making your TV show. <laughs> right? I think they're great because you don't need to have every single person working towards the same goal at all times. Yeah. You can have somebody, you can have two folks going out and working towards the goal, but then somebody else is dealing with being sick at home or something you know if any television executive is listening to this i don't know why you would but case of the week good monster of the week good please green light more of these shows because i love them so dearly please please give me like an adult monster of the week show i mean there's x files and supernatural but also like supernatural is on the cw it doesn't count (laughs) and x files just like it's old i want something new anyways we're coming up on time and now it's time for the lightning round fun zone where i do a little lightning round segment for my guests to see if they have any controversial opinions i can milk for podcast listens are you ready b yeah i'm so ready (laughs) number one stelena or delena Stelena. Delena is the most toxic, terrible teen ship known to man. I hate it so much. If you had to be stuck on a desert island with any one member of the Scooby-Doo gang, who would it be? Velma, I feel like she'd be, she'd be able to get me off that island quickest. Vampire Diaries or the Originals? The Originals. It's a much better show overall. D&D or Monster of the Week? I have the Monster of the Week book closer in hand, and it wasn't written by a racist, sexist man named Gary Gygax, so I'm going to go with Monster of the Week. 
what's your favorite monster of the week archetype? I love there's a lot of them that I love. Um, I think they're all really interesting. I like the crooked or like the professional the best. Yeah, those are good ones. And final lightning round question. Hosey or Hizzy? Hizzy. I can't stand Hosey. The, the fandom's insufferable and the characters are boring together. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. I have to just say it. They're just not a good couple. I'm sorry. Can't disagree with that. Like, no edits, no comments. Anyways. Yeah. Love Any it. last words for our audience before we go? Give Monster of the Week shows a, a chance. If you don't like them, and everything I've said to you today is like, I probably will hate them, give it a chance. Watch Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated. Please and thank you. Yes. Would you like to promote anything? I know we already promoted stuff at the top of the episode, but it's always nice to have a little end of end of podcast ad. A little stinger. Um, yeah, you can find uh, all of my podcasts at uh, brightcrownmedia.com. I run Afterbite and Wheels Up. Uh, you can find both those on Twitter by just searching their names. Uh, except for Afterbite's kind of hard to find on Twitter because I think Afterbite is actually the name of an Australian bug bite ointment. Um, so the name recognition there isn't great. You can find us on Twitter at AfterbitePod or um, Wheels Up is at Wheels Up Pod. All right. Well, yeah. thank, well, thank you so much for guesting, B. Thank you for having me. Dear listeners, you will hear from me again pretty soon. But until then, I'm Mia, signing off and reminding you not to invite vampires into your home. <laughs> <laughs>